Hey, it's Brian, back with another one of these Burr Months bonus episodes. Let me be one of the first to wish you a happy November. I hope you had a wonderful Halloween, and I hope you are as excited as I am that the Christmas season is now officially here. Now, don't let anyone tell you different. There's a lot of talk this year around when's too early to put up the Christmas decorations, when is it too early to listen to Christmas music. The Christmas season has always been, and will always be, something that's fluid. Did you know, for example, that a long time ago, the Christmas season began on Christmas Day, and lasted for 12 days, just like the song, ending on Twelfth Night. For a time after that, the Christmas season was something that lasted just a couple of days before Christmas. You'd put up your Christmas tree, if you put one up at all, the night before Christmas or thereabouts. Only since the early 20th century have we considered the Christmas season the five-week period between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And now we're seeing that extend yet again. With Christmas decorations sitting on store shelves alongside the Halloween candy, and Hallmark Channel's countdown to Christmas starting in October. The one thing that's remained constant about Christmas throughout history is that it's always changing. And I believe we're watching the acceptable length of the Christmas season changing yet again, right in front of us. In the last few Burr Months bonuses, I've been reading you classic Christmas stories. But today, I'm excited to share with you an original contemporary story by the writer Sarah Tipper. It's called Keep It All the Year, and it's from her short story collection, Tales to Take You to Christmas. It's a short, sweet story about how one woman keeps the Christmas spirit alive all year long. I'll come back at the end for some special announcements and to say goodbye. But for now, here's Sarah Tipper's Keep It All the Year. She loved Christmas so much that she thought about it during each month of the year. She had truly loved Christmas since she was 16 years old. She was now 56 years old. She wore her age well. She had learned to live happy hours, which added up to happy days, happy months, and happy years. Her recent years ran along the same tracks. In January, she would go to the sales and buy reduced-price Christmas decorations to put away at the very back of her cupboard and surprise herself with in December. She found it surprising that she was always surprised. But 11 months was a long time to forget even a very shiny purchase. She would also do a Christmas cards and gift wrap inventory in January and buy for half price what she needed for the coming December. She had two big cupboards in the spare bedroom, and one of these was the Christmas cupboard. A couple of tiny strands of tinsel had got trapped in the hinge. She spotted them, but she didn't remove them. They were a tiny, tantalizing sign that Christmas was never that far away. There was always a part-used box of Christmas crackers in the cupboard, along with the decorations and the plastic tree. If she was having a bad day, she would peek into the cupboard and feel calmed. If she was having a terrible day, she might pull a cracker with George when he came home from work. In February, she'd create gift tags from the previous year's Christmas cards, using pink shears to create a zigzag shape and a hole punch to create a neat hole to thread thin ribbon through. She had ribbon in silver, green, and red, and thought about which looked best in conjunction with the picture on the tag. In March, she wrote her gift tags ready for December. She used a silver or gold pen and her best handwriting. With each passing year, neat handwriting seemed more of an effort because of the predominance of typing. She put the tags at the very front of the Christmas cupboard. 
Throughout the year, she'd buy gifts. When she'd made a present purchase, she'd take the tag out of the gift tag pile to put with the present. She never had to rush round the shops with a long list. In April, she'd watch the blossoms blow from the trees, and she'd imagine it was December snow. One April, it had actually snowed, and she'd been so delighted, she bought an iced fruitcake and declared it Christmas for an evening. George didn't mind. He liked fruitcake. He called her a fruitcake, and she smiled at him. On her way to work, she would walk past fir trees with their brown cones and imagine spray-painting them all silver and gold. When spring came, she and George would go to car boot sales and often find a bag of Christmas decorations that needed a new home. In May, she and George would eat the last Christmas pudding bought the previous year. She always bought a spare, or two. She read the taste test comparisons in newspapers and magazines each November and selected her pudding based on these. If there was no clear winner, she conducted her own taste test. She liked it when there was no clear winner. In June, she used up the last of the cranberry sauce and the remaining frozen sprouts, which had delicious chestnuts added. Frozen sprouts were bought as spare sprouts, in case there was a fresh sprout shortage, but there never was. She thought that Christmas was a specific time of year, but it was also a feeling inside of you. It could be Christmas temporarily, and yet it didn't feel Christmassy. It could be December, all the decorations would be up, and yet it was just Christmas outside of you, settling on the surface, not Christmas inside where it mattered. Occasionally, you could be looking in the cupboard for something in June and spot the box of fairy lights and a huge tingle of Christmas would sweep over you, a wave of festive warmth and good cheer. She'd discovered that there were a small number of Christmas shops that opened all year, and she would visit their websites if she was having a tough day at work. In July, she'd be pleased that she was now less than half a year from Christmas. There would be a newspaper article about what toy manufacturers expected to be the most popular toys this Christmas. In August, she and George would go on holiday and give Christmas only little thoughts when she saw restaurant signs urging Book Now for Christmas. In September, she'd visit the Christmas departments in Harrods and Selfridges with her sister. It was now coming closer. She'd hear people moan about Christmas creep, the way festive products seemed to appear on shelves earlier and earlier each year. And she'd wondered why they didn't just ignore it until they wanted to begin their own preparations. In October, she began gift shopping in earnest. She spent an evening with hot chocolate and mince pies for dinner and a pile of Christmas catalogs, seeking inspiration and folding the corners of pages over. In November, she bought Christmas stamps. She noticed that in alternate years, the stamps had a religious theme. She liked both the religious and the secular. On the 1st of December, she decorated her tree and her home. George would pretend not to notice. George had always been funny. They met at the toy shop window when she was eight years old and he was nine. He had just moved to the village. She had grown up there and showed him how perfect it was. She pointed out the sweet shop next to the toy shop. Inside the toy shop, she showed him the most amazing thing. If you had two pence, you could make a train take a journey round the long winding track. All around the toy shop, under a bridge and through a tunnel, past a miniature toy shop and a sweet shop, and finally stopping at a station, which had the same name as their village. She had shown him the second best thing in the shop, a marble so big that it was the size of a satsuma, 
It was all the colors at once, as if it had been dipped in a rainbow. George agreed. It was splendid. The next time they met, he let her play marbles with him. He mostly had cat's eyes and milkies, plus a giant dauber. He showed her his reserve collection of crystals and pearls. For two years, they were firm friends and saw each other most days. They went to a Christmas party at the village hall and they sat almost inside the Christmas tree, hoping to be forgotten about so that they didn't have to go home to bed. When he was 11 years old, he went away to the boys' grammar school. His parents left the village, but an aunt remained. He only came back in the summer holidays and at Christmas. The Christmas when she was 15, he took her to the pictures. She remembered the feeling of being outside at night in the December dark. Noctambulant, but encapsulated and safe. He told her he wouldn't be coming back until next Christmas, that they would be away for the summer. She told him she'd look forward to Christmas all the year. She had, and he had, though the year had seemed interminably long-lasting, and a year later he kissed her under the corn exchange. They had been together ever since. Having been able to keep it all the year once, they had kept it all the years since. How do you keep Christmas alive all year round? I, for one, have this podcast. It's something that keeps me in the Christmas spirit because there's always some new surprising fact to research, always some new book to read in preparation for an interview, always some new person to reach out and make a connection with on social media, always some excuse to rewatch a favorite Christmas movie or listen to a favorite Christmas song, and there's always an opportunity to meet someone new and form a connection with someone who has something to teach me about this thing that I love so much. I'd love to hear how you keep Christmas in your heart all throughout the year. You can do that on social media. If you haven't joined the Facebook group already, please do today. We have a lot of fun and things are about to get a lot more exciting as the Christmas season draws closer and closer. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram. Just search for Christmas Past Podcast and you'll find me. You can also send me a line at christmaspastpodcast at gmail.com. And if you're feeling the Christmas spirit, and I have a feeling you are, why not help more people find this show by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts? If you do, I'll send you a sticker to say thanks. Again, contact me for details on that. Now, if you'd like more of Sarah's stories, you can find her collection, Tales to Take You to Christmas, at Amazon. It's available as a Kindle book, which makes for great reading and a great gift for someone special. Now, next week, I will be at ChristmasCon in Edison, New Jersey. I'm still planning to get out a Burr Month's bonus episode to you next week, but I'm not quite sure when I'll be able to do it. So make sure you stay subscribed so that you don't miss anything when it comes out. Well guys, it's about to get a lot more exciting from here on in. We are less than one month away from the official start of the Christmas past season. These Burr Month's bonus episodes have just been a warm-up. On the 28th, Thanksgiving Day, all six episodes of my true crime Christmas caper, My Dear Santa, will arrive in your podcast feeds. After that, we're back to business as usual, telling the stories behind your favorite Christmas traditions, and of course, sharing your Christmas memories. It's never too early to send me one. Record a voice memo into your phone and send it to christmaspastpodcast at gmail.com. Keep it reasonably short and clean, and be sure to tell me your name and where you're from. Now I'll let you get back to your planning for the season. Until we meet again, may your days be merry and bright.